0: You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief. For my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. They are the people of Israel chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful praises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors, and Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. I'm Pastor Bob, and I want to start out this morning by asking you kind of a weird question. Uh, Have you ever thought someone else's thoughts? I mean, really knew their thoughts. Have you ever felt... Someone else's feelings. Growing up, I was really close to several members of my family. My twin brother and I, we would oftentimes complete each other's sentences. And one time I remember in particular, because our voices were so much alike, that his girlfriend called up on the phone, and she said, Roger? And I said, yeah. And she started talking about "Mm, stuff. Then I handed the phone to Roger, and he listened a while, and he talked to her. And then, well... He handed the phone back to me, and I'd talk a while. And then she'd say something that I didn't know the answer to, and she'd say, Robert, get off the phone. (laughs) But My brother and I uh, lived this life for years in which we really felt each other's feelings. I was kind of stricken suddenly with an illness in my mid-20s, and he was hundreds of miles away not knowing what was going on with me. And he began to feel the same symptoms that I felt. Earlier in my life, in my childhood, I was particularly close to my grandmother, who we call Nana. And I never remember a time when Nana was very well. She had breast cancer. She struggled a lot with heart ailments. She had very painful arthritis and, and I remember one evening she was just thriving in pain and just as a little boy I remember praying God would you take some of my grandmother's pain and give it to me now this is 50 some years ago but I remember one particular night whether her pain was transmitted over to mine or not I cannot say but I really began to feel pain. So mental telepathy, emotional telepathy, is real. But the deepest kind of, of empathy, a of feeling that we can feel and experience is feeling God's own heart. You know, it's one thing, friends, to live from our hearts to be authentic, to be real. But recently, I have felt that that's not enough. That I need to feel from God's heart. And I need to think from God's thoughts if I'm gonna make any real difference in this world. And the scripture that was just read Is a demonstration of what it means to feel from God's heart. The Apostle Paul is feeling it. He's feeling deep anguish, bitter sorrow, because his Jewish brothers and sisters have rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And as Paul goes on and talks about, man, it was our ancestry that had all the promises of God. We are the people of faith. And yet in in the midst of of the pain and the agony that Paul is saying, what's he feeling? The heart of God, the heart of God that, well, have you ever been jilted by, by love? Have you ever had your spouse or your significant other cheat on you? You ever raised a child in the faith and you gave them the best provision that money can provide as well as a rich, deep launching in life, only to have them squander it? If you have ever been there, then you know something about what God is feeling Toward his people, Israel. Because over and over and over again, in in Scripture, it talks about how the gods, the lover who's had his spouse, turn on him. Or in the words, all day long, I opened my arms to them. But they were disobedient and rebellious. So Paul is feeling something from a very deep place, and it's not just his own heart. It's coming from the very heart of God. And he goes on to say that he would be willing to be cursed, forever cursed, if that's what it would take to save them. Now, who does that remind you of? The willingness to be cursed on behalf of... Of others for them to be saved? Jesus, right? And what we begin to understand through the cross is that God is willing to step into our pain. But long before there was Jesus on the earth, long before there was a cross on Calvary, God was feeling a cross. A hurt, a deep remorse for his people, his hurting people. And God still feels that today. Friends, we are living in a world that is hurting. And we do not know what to do with our hurt. And hurting people that are not healed keep hurting other people. What in the world are we to do with this? Well, I was working on this message last Monday. We got Chinese carry out, and I was interested in knowing what my fortune cookie would tell me about this. I opened up my fortune cookie, and it said, Keep your chin up. Time heals all wounds. Well, isn't that a bunch of hooey? But that's part of what the world believes. Time will heal all wounds. But you and I know that whether it's in America or whether it's in the Middle East or any other spots in the world, there is so much hurt and so much division, whether it's ethnicity, that the ground of violence keeps crying out and people just keep hurting people generation after generation after generation. We know But you just can't stuff it. And we know that time doesn't heal all wounds. Maybe you've come from a wounded family. Maybe you've come from some deep, wounded relationships. One of the things I ask you not to do, don't stuff it but don't swallow the lie that time somehow will take care of it. Another thing that we might be programmed to think is that we we can just dull it. The opioid crisis is an indication, prescription, non-prescription drugs. We are a culture that tries to dull the pain. This past week I was reading from my AARP magazine And in my AARP magazine, reading about senior adults, since 2002, in the last 15 years, senior adults have spiked over 100% in problem drinking. Part of that is because the baby boomers are aging and we've been a mess for a long time. But it's an indication that there's a growing problem among older adults. Severe problems with alcohol. We we can try to dull the pain. Or we can spend a lot of time condemning and scapegoating other people. Harvey Weinstein is someone that apparently has done repeatedly some despicable things. But every week it seems like the media or our storyline is we're going to heap all the sins on this person as a scapegoat and we're going to send them out. And that's going to take care of it. Where we know that the number of assaults On women is prevalent across our society and we're never going to be able to take care of the problem by just scapegoating one or two so friends you and I know about pain we bear our own pain how in the world can we begin to bear the pain of others But here is what I would say to you about pain. You can't dull it, and you can't stuff it, and you can't deal with it by condemning somebody else. But you have to enter into the pain. You have to step into the midst of the pain. And this is the way of Jesus. And Jesus comes. And takes the pain and the suffering of all the world on himself as the wounded healer. And you and I can walk in the way of Christ and we, we receive his healing. And yet, there's that scripture that's always troubled me that says, in some way, we complete the sufferings of Christ. And that scripture says to me, I'm not off the hook. That in some way, I have to step into the pain of others. And I I need the heart of God to be able to do that. And frankly, friends, many times the heart of God just gets a little too close for me. And I don't want to think his thoughts and I don't want to feel his feelings because... Well, if you've ever been hurt, you've ever been jilted, you've ever been frustrated, you've ever been walked out on, you've ever been watching other people be so disobedient in their life, if you've ever been frustrated at yourself, just the slightest miniature nth degree are we feeling the heart of God. Because the heart of God is hurting. The heart of God is hurting It's unfathomable how much God is hurting for his world. And so it's quite a thing for me, for you, to be able to say, Okay, God, I want to feel what you feel. And I want to think what you think. Last Friday, Bishop Robert Farr was in town the Bishop of the Methodists in Missouri, and he asked several Methodist leaders to come and join him in a two-mile walk through the center of Springfield, Missouri, and to kind of just, uh, with our eyes open, it's hard to walk with your eyes shut, by the way, uh, see what we might see, hear what we might hear, stop and talk to people. In the midst of this, we came to a gas station, and we were told up front, that um, this is a place where a lot of dealing go going on. and When I stopped there, I just felt this heaviness, this darkness. And I had to stop and pray against the evil. Not against people, but against the evil that is robbing people's lives. Feeling. The depths of God's own heart. Friends, I want you to know that if you've been broken, if you're hurting, God is hurting with you. And God is not the perpetrator of the problems of the world, God is the healer of the problems. And so Paul is putting his heart out there, isn't he? In Romans 9 to 11, he's talking about his people, his brothers and sisters. He's saying, I I would just be willing to die myself. But Paul has a word of hope, and he talks about this tree. He talks about the olive tree. And he says in this work of art that, uh, through this work of art that Kristen Sims Strong has provided for us in the book, that it's like God's family is like this beautiful tree. This family of faith. But there's brothers and sisters of the Jews that have been cut off from the tree because of their own disobedience and their own choosing and their own unfaithfulness. They're turning away from me. Their limbs have been cut off. And who are the limbs that have been crafted in to the tree? But people who are not Jews, people like us, people who have placed our faith in Jesus. We've been crafted into the tree by grace, by that wonderful gift. But we don't need to be too full of ourselves. And we don't need to be thinking that we're better than the people that have been cut off. But we need to be living more deeply into the faith ourselves. And then he goes on to talks about the heart of God where if God was able to take us us unnatural branches, and craft them in the tree, God is more than able to take the Jewish people, the brothers and sisters of the faith originally, and craft them back into the tree. Oh, the wonderful mysteries and unfathomable riches of God. To God be the glory forever. Now, what does this mean to us, though? What does this say to us? In your life, in my life, in our culture, in our community, in our heart, who are the people that we know that are outside looking in? Or the people that do not realize the grace and the love of God the way we know it? Sam Shoemaker was an Episcopal priest in the early part of the 20th century, and he raised a question that has been daunting me and haunting me. For weeks now, and the question is: Can our type of church change this kind of world? Now, you think about that question for a little bit. How would you answer that question? I, uh, I personally don't think this type of church can change this kind of world don't get me wrong i think we're moving in the right direction don't get me wrong we're doing some wonderful things but i don't think i'm the type of pastor yet that it takes to change this kind of world i think i've got to be living more from the heart of god And so, you know, I I repent this morning of all the times when I played the expert. Because frankly, I'm pretty clueless on what is needed to change this kind of world because the kind of world that we're living in is not our parents' world. It's not our grandparents, it's not it's not the world that some of us grew up in. It's this community has so many deep-seated issues, problems, generational poverty, instability, violence, drugs. We, we Friends, it's going to take a special type of church to change this kind of world. And I think God is wanting us to feel that. but there are glimpses. Friday was an interesting day for me. It started out by prayer walking and Friday night ended with a celebration of the life change plan of four different individuals. I want to introduce you to Faith and Rich and Sammy Joe and a gal named Mac. And as you look at those four persons, we were gathering Friday night to celebrate that their completion of the one year life change plan. Now, what is a life change plan? I'm glad you asked. these persons have come out of jail, they've come out of prison, they've come out of addiction, and they've stayed clean for at least a year the life change plan is about them being in the scriptures daily about being people of prayer about meeting up with their mentor every week it's about going to worship it's about serving it's about living this life out and as we listen to their stories about where have they come from and what their aspirations are. Well the dude, he he wants to be working fully in landscaping, having his own business. And some of the gals, they wanna they wanna go into mental health restoration of people. And others they want to deal with people in prison and speak life and hope to them. And Rich, that day, got his driver's license back. And for the first time in 17 years, he drove a car last Friday. And he said, in the midst of his testimony, when I started doing this life change plan, it was all about just fighting, fighting the addiction, fighting this Overcoming that. But then he said, I fell in love with it. He said, I fell in love with it. He was talking about the faith. He was talking about God. He was talking about the church. That he's, he's fallen in love with it. And you see, friends, the four have got to become 40. And the 40 have got to become 400. It's that kind of expansion. It's that kind of growth. It's that kind of need that's out there if we're going to be the type of church that changes this kind of world. I don't know what God is calling you to do about that. But I know simply that God is calling us to step into his heart. So this morning, I want to close out by asking you a question and then give a challenge. A couple of weeks ago, we had a door up and a door of faith. And what we clearly wanted to, to communicate that day was when we come to Christ, we don't come out of any of our own merit. None of us deserve the grace of God. None of us can earn the favor of God, but we, we have that favor. God wants us. He's calling us into the house of faith. And by simply stepping through the door of faith, we can enter into this new life that these four persons have done. No matter who we are and what we've done, And Paul, in the middle of Romans 9 to 11, he says these words. That if you openly openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is believing in your heart that you're right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And anyone or everyone this morning, if you've never stepped through the door of faith, that's what I want to invite you to do, encourage you to do. You can have this encounter with God and you, you can experience this full grace and love of God. For the rest of us, I want to share a reading with you. It's a rather long reading. And it's reading in a time uh, in the early part of the 20th century where inclusive language was not used. And so I'm going to read from the original text. And I want to invite you to pay attention to the words as I go through this reading. Because it's a description of what I think God is calling all of us believers all of us disciples, into. Simply call, I stand by the door. Follow along on the screen. I stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which men walk when they find God. There is no use my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside and they as much as I crave to know where the door is. And all that so many ever find is only the wall where the door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind men with outstretched groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door, yet they never find it. So I stand by the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for men to find that door, the door to God. The most important thing that any man can do is to take hold of one of those blind groping hands and put it on the latch The latch that only clicks and opens to the man's own touch. Men die outside the door as starving beggars die on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter. Die for want of what is within their grasp. They live on the other side of it, live there because they have not found it. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find him. So I stand by the door. Go in, great saints, go in all the way. Go way down into the cavernous cellars and way up to the spacious attics, into a vast roomy house, this house where God is. Go into the deepest of hidden casements of withdrawal, of silence, of sainthood. Some must inhabit these inner rooms. And know the heights and depths of God and call outside to the rest of us how wonderful it is. Sometimes I take a deep, deeper look in, sometimes venture in a little farther, but my place seems to closer to the opening. So I stand by the door. I admire the people who go way in. But I wish they would not forget how it was before they got in. Then they would be able to help the people who have not yet even found the door. Or the people who want to run away again from God. You can go in too deeply and stay in too long and forget the people outside the door. As for me, I shall take my old accustomed place near enough to God to hear him and know he is there, but not so far from men as not to hear them and remember that they are there too. Where? Outside the door. Thousands of them. Millions of them. But more important for me, one of them. Two of them. Ten of them, whose hands I am intended to put on the latch, so I shall stand by the door and wait for those who seek it. I'd rather be a doorkeeper, so I stand by the door.